This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, or even a Christian. Join hosts Matthew J. DiStefano and Keith Giles as they tip over just about every sacred cow known to man. You're sure to have a good time, if you're a heathen or heretic or apostate or reprobate. If you're an evangelical, maybe you won't have such a good time. But either way, we want you to listen. You can check out Apostates Anonymous wherever you get your podcast fix. Now, on to the show. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. So good to be with you. On this episode, I have Joseph Yu, who wrote the book, When the Saints Go Flying In. This is a very fun conversation. Joe lives in Houston, Texas. He was a Methodist pastor for a while. Now he's Episcopalian. I'll let him tell the story. He also is a Korean-American. I'll let him tell that story as well. And we talk in this conversation about a lot of things, including the importance of saints and what they have to teach us today in 2023. This is kind of in the vein, in in, in the same line of thinking uh, of the podcast I did with Tripp and Diana uh, Butler-Bass a few weeks ago now um, on Lent. And we, we, we talked about saints there, and this is kind of like a continuation of that. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I do want to say thank you so, so much for listening to the show. If you can give us a rating and a review on iTunes or YouTube or Spotify, wherever the hell you, you listen to your podcast or watch the podcast, that would be so great. If you want to support the work that we do, the New Evangelicals is a nonprofit organization holding space for thousands of people, renegotiating their faith beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism, and hopefully trying to find better paths forward in the house of the Christian tradition. So you can definitely donate. All donations are uh, tax-deductible in the U.S., which is always great news. And friends, the podcast continues to grow. So a sincere thank you. If you're a new listener, thank you for being here. It means the world. There are so many cool things coming up in our community. Check out our private Facebook group, our Zoom groups. It's all there, completely paywall free. So make sure you engage. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my interview with Joseph. I'll talk to you all later on. All right. Well, um, audience, I have to give you a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the graciousness of my next guest because I, I, I sometimes I do have to reschedule podcast guests. I mean, it happens; things happen. But rescheduling a guest twice in a row—that's that's pretty bad for a podcast host. And I did this to Joe. I, 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 I bailed on Joe twice, and yet he's still here to come on the podcast. So, Joseph. You, thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. And um, like I said, it was it was legit reasons why you uh, why you bailed on me twice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I admit it. I am guilty as church. I, I think the first time my wife had a kidney stone attack or something like that. I think that was like the first. I think your kids were sick. Oh, kids were sick. Yeah, there's Both always something going on. Yes, Both of them. Yes. And I was like, oh yeah, that's serious. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. They're still sick. Like children get sick for so long. They're fine. Like it's not nothing serious, but they're a runny nose. They're coughing like crazy. And it's just, yeah. I mean, I'm really on booger patrol, frankly, you know? So. And then they're around <laughs> other kids who are sick constantly. So it's probably just passing around amongst all these kids. It's a never yes. ending cycle. Yes. To be a parent. Um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about parenting. We're here to talk <laughs> about you. Uh, so listen, you wrote a book, When the Saints Go Flying In, um, and we're going to dig into that in a little bit. But before we do, I, I am curious, your backstory, you know, you're obviously on a podcast called The New Evangelicals. So did you grow up in, in like American evangelical spaces? What, what's your background regarding faith? 
Yeah, so um, I'm a, I was born, raised, baptized, and ordained in the Methodist Church. Okay. Um, and, but in the, you know, my formative years, uh, because the Methodist Church is uh, like a spectrum of beliefs, um, I kind of grew up like evangelical. I, I wasn't, uh, I was part of the purity culture. Um, fear and shame and guilt was, uh, and being part Korean too. So, you know, I got the Korean guilt on, you know, like from my parents and then the church. Uh, and, and my dad's a pastor, so I've grew up a PK. Um, but not only that, I think, uh, so, so my dad's a pastor, my dad's oldest brother. So the oldest uncle is a pastor. That uncle has three kids. All three of them are either pastors or married to one. And then my grandma, my grandpa, grandfather on the my mom's side was a pastor. My uncle's a pastor and my aunt's married to a pastor. So it's like a family business. That, oh my God. Uh, there's no escaping pastors. it. Yeah. And a couple years ago, like, uh, like when I was 14 or 15, my mom, like, said you know when she was pregnant with me and this is before you could do gender reveals or whatnot um yeah. they're like she was like i pray the hand of prayer i pray to god if i had a son that i would uh give him into ministry and mm-hmm. i was like why would you pray that for me and not my brother like that's not fair <laughs> so, i yeah. see who you love more mom you know? <laughs> yeah. so uh i uh you know like i remember like being physically scared after, as a 12 year old after a youth lock in where the youth pastor made us watch this video about the end of days and being left behind and all the people being covered with sores and whatnot. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, please save my life. So that kind of thing. So I was, I was not uh, able to escape that. And, um, uh, all along the way, my parents, uh, my dad expected me to be a pastor. And, you know, like as a kid, I thought I wanted to be a pastor. Who wants, who doesn't want to be like their dad? Absolutely. But then like about 15, 16, I was like, oh, I don't want to be like my dad. Uh, <laughs> or I don't want to, it's not like, I want to do this job that my dad does because yeah. I see like how people treat him and all yeah. that stuff. And Korean yeah. churches tend to be just a little bit more cruel. It's just, mm. uh, uh, and, and, you know, like the the Asian myth of tiger moms, like people are like that to pastors and pastors. Too. Like, it's almost like we can't live the Christian life. So we expect you to, and your family to live it up. And we will hold, we will like count every button, unbutton, whatnot. We will hold you accountable for every little thing that we can't hold up to. Hmm. Uh, so um, I didn't want to be a pastor, but then um, I couldn't avoid the call. Uh, huh. And I went through this thing where I realized that this was my calling and not my dad's. Mm. And that was a big shift. So I went to seminary and uh, fought the fight of becoming ordained, fighting the system all the while trying to uphold the system and whatnot. <laughs> and then um, yeah. we moved yeah. to Texas in 2016. Okay. Um, and uh, so all along there, you know, there was a, uh, you know, seminary was a deconstructing part for us. Mm. Like my, you know, we grew up like never questioning the Bible. Bible's the word of God. It's sacred. You know, yeah. don't read Harry Potter. I remember my, uh, one of my youth leaders saying, Hey, I know you like, like rap and stuff. I know you like this Tupac, but you should listen to Toby Mac instead. And I'm like, mm. Extreme Days, yeah. baby. What like, an no, album. Yeah. No offense to Toby Mac, but not the same thing, you know? <laughs> right, right. Right. Uh, right. So, um, uh, I had this, this deconstructing phase in sim. Like the first day of Old Testament class, uh, our professor said, um, Jonah is a, an allegory. It's the story of Jonah is an allegory. It is not, a man does not get swallowed up by a fish. And if you believe that, fine, but you're wrong. Like that was like the first day of class. Day like, one. Holy moly, where am I? <laughs> right. The liberal indoctrination, it's found in me, you know? <laughs> I know. And and the funny thing is like, um, so I had, there's two seminaries, uh, Methodist seminaries that I was really interested. Well, I was really interested in Garrett, which is in Chicago. And I okay. flew up there for a scholarship interview. And I remember I was 23. I remember uh, the interview asking me, you know, there's a lot of tension between the progressive and liberal, uh, progressive and conservative uh, Christians. Where do you stand? And up to that point, as a 23-year-old uh, who grew up in Hawaii too, like I had no idea what progressive and lib- uh, conservative meant. So I, I still remember like looking back at Korean, I was like, well, I just believe in Jesus and that should be enough. That was my answer. <laughs> Was so it like, enough? Did you get the scholarship? No, uh, I got a 75% scholarship, but Wesley in, okay. the, uh, in DC gave me a full ride Perfect. Uh, just for being a Korean American. So I was like, let's go where the money is. Right. Yeah. Um, and so seminary was a whole deconstruction phase. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I became more progressive and whatnot. And sure. so we moved to 2016 um, in Texas, uh, where before that I was in uh, California. Um, we have this thing called the annual conference in the Methodist Church. It's a yearly gathering of all the, uh, of all the pastors and basically sets like laws and rules for the next year governing year yeah and 
in California, my last annual conference in California, we debated about uh, the, uh, the, the issue, quote unquote, of human sexuality. And the conference voted not to press church charges on pastors who want to officiate uh, same-sex weddings because that was against the denominational rule. But the conference said, we're going to, we're not going to do that. So if someone comes up to you and wants to, you to uh, do their, officiate their wedding, um, feel free to say, yes, we won't press charges, whatever. So we moved to Texas. My first annual conference in Texas, we were arguing the gender of God, saying that it is not right to call God a female. God is a man wow. because the Bible says so. And I'm like, where the hell? Am I allowed to curse? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you, you can definitely curse. You're more uh, so than I'm like, where, where, what the hell? Um, and then the new bishop came in who was far more conservative and whatnot. So uh, the way the Methodist system works, the bishop tells you to move somewhere within the jurisdiction of the, uh, of the boundaries of the con- uh, conference. And he was sending me to a place that uh, was a little bit outside of the city called Tyler in East Texas. Mm. Um, still to this day, Houston remains one of the most diverse cities in the country. When we moved there in 2016, it was the most diverse city. Mm. Uh, the Asian population of Tyler was 0.01%. So essentially, my bishop was taking me out for the most uh, popular, uh, most diverse city to like where I would be the only kind of of my and and just East Texas white people, you know, like you know, like the cowboy hats where I'm like, okay, I should really watch my head everywhere I go. Like I'm gonna be, you know, right. And I'm pretty sure that was a lot of projection on my part of fear, but. Sure. Uh, but mostly my son's on the autism spectrum and uh, he couldn't, uh, the services in Tyler were going to be awful compared to what we're receiving here. Mm. So um, I said no, and we're not really allowed to say no to our bishop. Uh, bishop gave me three choices, either uh, go to this appointment, uh, take a year of absence, or uh, uh, which then I would lose all my benefits and wouldn't have a job within the church. I would have to find my own job. Right. Or move to a different conference. And so... Um, I really thought uh, I don't want to. I wasn't going to take that job. Right. Um, I was afraid that if I was to take a leave of absence when it's my turn to come, when I reinstate for uh, an appointment, we call it. I was the bishop still's in charge, so he could be like, "Well, okay, well, I'll send you to an even more rural place." Right. And then you have right. to go, right? Right. So we decided to try to move, but all the doors were closing. And finally, a friend that worked in the uh, the diocesan center office of the Episcopal Church in Texas. Um, had coffee with me and said, we would like you to plant a church in the city that you live in. But the catch is you have to be an Episcopalian. So at first I was like, no, I'm good because I spent the last 12 years of my life fighting this institution of United Methodist Church, mm. um, like butting heads with everyone and trying to, um, at the same time, you know, like I wanted to be the, what we could be, but, you know, like I also want to fight and, and but also, also hands that feeds me. And it was just, a, right. you know, like whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I, I spent all this energy and time fighting the system, the, fighting the devil I know, if you will. Yeah. I didn't want to start all over. Um, but, you know, like once the seed, once God plants a seed, it keeps gnawing at you, gnawing at you, gnawing at you. And eventually I said yes. And I left the Methodist church, went through another ordination process with the Episcopal church. And uh, since 2021, I've been unofficially an Episcopal priest. Uh, I started my Episcopalian journey in 2019 and became ordained as a priest in 2021. Okay, what <laughs> is, wow, I mean, that's that's quite the story. What is What are some of the biggest differences you found between being in the Methodist denomination and now being Episcopalian? Like, you know, are, are there major, major differences going on there? Uh, theologically, no, because okay. uh, John Wesley was an Anglican. And we Episcopalians are still Anglican, hmm. um, but the way that we do church uh, is is what I'm seeing a little bit more. Uh, like I'm like, oh, we're you know, like the the Episcopal Church uh, generally seems to be more uh, uptight. I guess is the word about how uh, of like the liturgy and the worship. Like uh, in the Methodist Church, you can walk in and it could be like uh, a a non denomination church in disguise. You know, like right, you have right. the bands and whatnot. Um, yeah. The Episcopal Church, uh, the the really high church ones are very, very Catholic. Hmm. Um, and we still have to, like, uh, we have to follow the lectionary. So um, all up until 2019, I was a sermon series preacher. And now I'm a, a lectionary preacher. And for those of you that may not know, a lectionary is a, uh, assigned readings in a cycle of three years. And within the three years, you're supposed to go through the whole Bible. So every Sunday, there's four assigned readings, a psalm, an Old Testament, a gospel reading and a, an epistle, a New Testament reading. And this is interesting. Oh, sorry. So, I didn't make yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, and year A, uh, which is what we're in, you've, yeah. uh, the heavy focus is on, is on Matthew. And then year B uh, is, is uh, 
Mark and then year C is Luke and then John is sprinkled around. And so in three year cycle, you went through uh, most of the Bible. Okay, yeah, this reminds me of my conversation with Diana Butler-Bass and Trip Fuller on Lent, because Diana Butler-Bass is Episcopalian, and she yeah. mentioned the other church calendar and just kind of the cycles, which, you know, frankly, to someone like myself, and I would imagine to many much of our audience, is kind of foreign to us. You know, I grew up in more uh, non-denominational evangelical spaces, and then kind of transitioned to more charismatic Assemblies of God type of spaces. So the idea of liturgy or even like a church calendar or a cycle um, is just not kind of the norm. I have, however, been a part of one Anglican service. Some friends of mine were Anglican. And honestly, I found it very beautiful because it, you're right. It did. It seemed more Catholic to my eyes based on what I knew and also seemed to be centered more around the Eucharist. Uh, that's right. communion for folks who don't know. Then than like the preacher preaching the three point sermon. Is that similar in, in, in the Episcopalian side? Yeah. As well? So it took me a, it took me a minute to get used to um, because yeah. I was, you know, like. I, I liked uh, the 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 setting the mood with the light and then whatnot. You know, I never had the fog machine, but I, oh, too bad you're missing out. I wish. Um, but uh, after like release, you know, like because I signed up for this job, and because basically the Episcopal Church threw me a lifeline, um, right. and I was like, right. let's take this seriously. And and I started beginning to gain this appreciation because. Um, Looking back, you know, the, the 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 way that I led services in the Methodist Church that was very contemporary uh, um, was because uh, I say contemporary because sometimes we pick songs from the '90s, saying, you know, it's a it's not a hymn, right. like, yeah. But as dear is like older than most of us here. Um, there, uh, we focus a lot about personal piety, like it's it's me, Jesus, in, in this room, and a lot of prayers are centered around I and whatnot. Um, but with this liturgy that we have. Um, it reminds us all of our prayers is there's never an I, me, my, whatever. It's always ours, we, us. Uh, so there is a wideness to it. And, and on a Sunday, all Anglican and all the people who are, um, following the lectionary on a Sunday, we are all hearing the same readings. Right. You know? And then, uh, there's a deafness to it because some of the prayers that we pray from the, our book of common prayer are like from the 1500. So there's a wideness and a, uh, depth to the worship to remind us this there there we're not the only ones praying these prayers we're not the mm -hmm. only ones listening to this uh this this sermon or or, or this these uh passages sermon, uh, bible passages everyone is doing it on on the sunday and then the prayers that we pray haven't been prayed have been prayed for centuries so there's like this connection to make us realize that we're not uh we're not, it's not just me here. This is, uh, this, we're standing on the shoulders of people who made this happen and we're doing this together as a worldwide community. Yeah. On top of that, uh, the service, our service, the Episcopalian England service, service is anchored in the communion. So um, mm. the star, quote unquote, of the service is, is the Eucharist, not yeah. the pastor. So, um, you know, like on a bad Sunday when we're struggling for a sermon, we can make the sermon 10 minutes long because we have to, uh, we, we have to do the Eucharist. That's, that's what we're here for. Right. So, um, there's, there's not, uh, uh, there haven't been like, um, I, I have yet to uh, come across like superstar preachers in the Episcopalian <laughs> church, you know, like right. uh, in the Methodist, there's like Adam Hamilton. Um, and then like, there's like Irwin McManus, Judah Smith, and uh, all those people. Like we don't have that many people like that uh, in the Episcopal church because we focus on, on the Eucharist and that's, that centers us. Well, let me ask you this. I'm kind of curious uh, as we're kind of still unpacking some of your story, you mentioned that um, essentially your Bishop in the Methodist church gave you like three options that, I mean, listen, from my vantage point, not knowing the context, don't seem very like supportive of you or your family and the needs like of your son. Is that just kind of how it is for like, you know, bishops who are like, hey, I don't care. Uh, you're going to go here or you, you can really take a hike or you can go somewhere else. I mean, I, I don't want to speak ill of that person, but based on. Oh, we can't. Story, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it um, just seems kind of cruel. It, it all depends. Uh, a, a lot of times they will take account into um, consideration of your family needs, but it's like the military kind of, you know, you, 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 you're sent where you go. Um, and yeah. also part of the reason was I've, I've been on the shit list of this bishop ever since uh, we both arrived because like he is a, he was a very traditionalist and um, here uh, I was advocating for um, inclusion of the LGBTQI folks. Um, my wife is an ordained deacon in the Methodist Church, and she was sitting on the board of what's called the Reconciling Ministry of the United Methodist Church. These churches, uh, this ministry, 
um, goes around saying, yes, the denomination says you are incompatible with scripture, but we're working on making sure that you don't feel that because we don't believe that. So there's like, it's like this little defiant, like, you know, so she was on the board of that. So both of us were, um, and, and, and one of the first things that he, uh, his bishop inaugural address talked about, uh, God loves all the children. Mm. And I remember writing a blog post about what does this bishop mean by all? Right. Because all means differently from different people. Because for me, all includes the uh, uh, transgender kids, uh, right. LGBT, like just all of that. But I feel like the, uh, the migrant kids, the, uh, the refugee kids, I feel like this bishop means all of those who are in the suburbs and maybe affluent and whatnot. And he sent me a long email in response. And I was like, okay, I'm on the bishop's radar. So we never yeah. started off on the right foot, you know, like, mm. so... Um, I, I mean, on, on bad days, I think he wanted me to be as far away from the uh, headquarters as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also this weird, like, we're, the Methodist Church is all about, like, grace, right? But there's this hazing uh, thing built into uh, our system. And the idea is, like, all young clergy have to go through East Texas before they get the big church. You have to go and suffer, whatever. So uh, part of that, <laughs> you there's part of that. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember one of my friends going uh, through the ordination process. She was a, uh, uh, um, uh, I might, I think, I think you might know her, but I don't want to name drop her uh, because I'm not sure if I'm allowed to share the story. Um, but uh, sure. she was going through the ordin- ordination process, and uh, this other older woman came up to her who was on the board, who was part, who was on, you know, the one that has a uh, the board that has approves or denies you, and says she says to this young pastor going through the ordination process, "It was hell for me, so I'm going to make sure it's hell for you." And it's like, yay, nice. grace. Nice. <laughs> you really aren't you glad you you chose ministry? <laughs> so like there's this hazing interesting uh, kind of, they wouldn't call it hazing. Yeah. And sure, they'll deny sure. it. Um, but there's this idea that you all, you know, before you get the big church, you have to do all the small churches. Yeah. Okay, interesting. All right. So so you switch over to the Episcopalian tradition. Uh you help plant a church. Um, where you live in Texas. Um, and so then you end up at some point, I guess, having this book idea uh, called When the Saints Go Flying In. And, and it just came out in February uh, of this year. What is the book about and why did you decide to write it? So uh, the book's essentially the tagline, which is uh, stories about faith and life and everything in between. And yeah. uh, my first, uh, my first uh, clergy conference that I went to as an Episcopalian, we were sitting, uh, I was sitting at the lunch table with other priests and one just looked over and said, so who's your favorite saint? And I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like St. Paul? I don't know. Is that a thing? <laughs> right. And, thing? and exactly. everyone on the table is like saying, you know, I like St. Francis and St. whatever. I'm like, oh, it is a thing. <laughs> and so like, I was like, I like a St. Jesus. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, I, I, um, you know, growing up, we were like, uh, yeah. The Catholic, like I, I remember this tract, you know, those things that people evangelical oh, hand out. Totally, totally. There was this one tract um, where this guy wakes up and he wakes up in hell, and this demon is there. Uh, maybe it might have been the devil himself saying, um, "Let me give you a tour of hell." And the guy was like, "Hell, I was a good Christian." And the devil's like, "You weren't a good Christian. You were a Catholic." Oh my! And God. so it's this anti-Catholic rhetoric, and so you know, like. We grew up thinking like, uh, and one of the reasons why he was in hell was the veneration of saints. Like you didn't pray to Jesus, you pray to saints. This is one of the reasons why you're in hell. And the track ends with the guy, it was a dream. He wakes up and he goes, oh, I renounce my Catholic ways, Jesus. I'm a, a, save me now. I am a believer. And you know, saying the sinner's prayer. Oh my God. So like that's, that's the first thing that came out. I was like, I didn't know we were allowed to pray to saints or whatnot. So, um, in this journey of like trying to, and so I wanted to fit in, like, you know, when in Rome. So I'm like, okay, who's my favorite saint? So I'm like looking up all these You're saints. You're Googling and real like, quick. You know? Yeah. And, and then, and then I'm asking trusted friends and whatnot. And I was like, you know, I have, uh, then this idea, like I could write about somehow these saints, something that highlighted their stories that match with mine. And then let's, let's see where this goes. And that's how the book came about. Wow. I mean, and it's interesting because I I resonate strongly with this idea. My parents, my mom mainly grew up very Catholic and then she got born again in a more like fundamentalist space. And, you know, I she just taught me what she knew at the time, you know, that really Catholics have a works-based salvation and that, you know, uh, they pray to saints and praying to saints is bad, et cetera. And because of that, I also grew up very, I guess we could say stunted. <laughs> 
with, with, with a very <laughs> a like word. limited view of, of, of saints and what they are. Um, and I think looking back now, and frankly, I'm still pretty ignorant about like, you know, who are some of the, the big saints out there. But um, I do think that because of that, I've missed out on people in our own tradition uh, historically who have done amazing work that we could be looking up to to influence how we live our lives today. So what was that like for you starting to research maybe for the first time this idea of, of what it means to be a saint and why we call people saints in the Christian tradition? Yeah, so it was just a very fat, like some of these people lived very, uh, and you know, like some of the earlier saints, there's almost like a mythology to them. Like, did this really happen? Sure, sure. Or sure. are we just accrediting uh, uh, like these stories? And so uh, it was very fascinating. And and the thing that just always uh, uh, struck me is about even, even the, the saints in the Bible. I don't know if we're allowed to call like Moses saint or whatnot, if that would get me in trouble from other evangelicals <laughs> or whatnot. But like uh, through and through, outside of outside of Jesus, I suppose, you know, like, these people are ter- terribly ordinary. Mm. Um, it's, it's just uh, Joe the plumber, as Sarah Palin, Palin used to say. <laughs> yes, um, yes. And, and, and it's, it's just God takes these ordinary people and, and their dedication to their calling and to their lives just set them slightly apart from, from everyone else. Um, so, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but but like what I'm saying is like when you were writing this book, like what kind of research were you doing, and like what saints popped out to you that were like, whoa, I didn't know this person. Well, existed. all of them. <laughs> um, I was just uh, I picked up a, a there's a there's a, a, a official phrase like it's called like hagiography. I don't even, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's like a study of saints. So I picked up those books and whatnot. Um, and and um, my favorite one I found was Saint Jude. Because okay. um, I only knew St. Jude as uh, uh, the, the hospital for sick kids, you know, all right. the commercials, yes. Jennifer Aniston yes. and whatnot. Yes. And, um, and St. Jude is a patron saint of lost causes, which also I was like, you know, that's not a very good uh, representation of sick kids. <laughs> like, right. He's like, right. Um, right. but, but uh, St. Jude is a uh, saint of lost causes. Because only people who are desperate enough to pray uh, are are praying to Saint Jude, because his name is so similar to Judas. Well, his name is Judas, so um, people uh, people are afraid to pray to Judas Iscariot. So no one ever really prayed to Saint Jude. But if you're like really, really, really desperate, and you're in your last like you know thread of life, yeah, you know, maybe you'll pray to Saint Jude, and it'll get to the right Jude. So uh, that's why he's uh, a patron saint of lost causes. Can you kind of, you know, again, because you wrote a book on this, can you kind of break down the idea of praying to saints? Because again, for me, I'm just like, uh, uh, hello, uh, Joe, that is idolatry. You know, yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. pray to anyone but Jesus or maybe yeah. the Holy Spirit, maybe God. I don't know. Uh, so can you kind of break down, like, what does it mean to pray to a saint? Sure. Um, you know, first of all, I should say, like, I am no, in no ways am I like a, a pro out or like a uh, uh, what am I a scholar of this? Like the stories sure. I use of the things are basically like just the tip of the iceberg, if that. And, yeah. and I'm like, let me take the story and use my story and infuse it so that people can see their story into these stories. But um, uh, it's so a lot of people, some people will say that we don't pray necessarily. We pray with the things rather than to the things, or we ask the saints to just, it's like an extra, hey, uh, pray, you know, give Jesus a, a special shout out. It's almost, it's almost like we're saying to the pastor, will you please pray for me? Mm. Um, it's just that these people are dead. <laughs> but but also like we still, people com- like, maybe we don't call it prayer, but people still commune with dead people. Like, mm. you know, like people who lost their loved ones, you know, they'll say things like, um, mom, please watch over me, whatever. Sure. You know, just like, oh, I really felt dad was here right now. So it's that kind of thing where um, like, we're not, we're not like, Idol, like idolizing the saints in the sense. Mm. Um, and I'm sure like, like my neighbor right now has a, uh, on their f- uh, front house has a picture of um, mother Mary holding, uh, I think it's Pope uh, John Paul in mm. a embracing thing. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of weird, but Hey, cause they're Catholic. Um, I guess because p- images are out there uh, are like that are out there. People are like getting the misconception of like, Oh, these Catholics are like, making the saints equal to Jesus. But it's more just like uh, the way I've, I've discovered the way people pray to saints is just an extra help from a friend that's been there. Bef- that's no longer with us, but you know, like just need all the, all the 
good vibes today. So, um, you know, like uh, when we when we're going on a trip, we say, "Hey, please pray for me uh, for yeah. a safe flight." Yeah. Um, then you throw a little prayer to uh, Saint Christopher, who's a patron saint of travelers, and be like, "Hey, you know, also you just tell Jesus to watch out for us too." So it's it's, it's that kind of thing. Okay, well, let me ask you this. I'm kind of curious. Is Did you, you know, obviously you're Korean, which by the way, I should tell you, I actually went to a Korean boarding school in high school that was half Why? Korean boarding school and half <laughs> American students. It's a long, convoluted story, but I it was, a, it was a small private school in my town. That's where I went after, after I was homeschooled for nine years. So I've eaten a lot of kimchi. I, I've had, I've had my... My, 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 almost my life's fill of kimchi at the cafeteria. <laughs> but, um, so I just figured I should, I should throw that out there. Um, not that I'm an expert in Korean culture because I was like 15 and had no clue what I was talking about. But I am kind of curious, did you, as you were kind of doing this work and like discovering this, this tradition of saints, did anything in your own Korean culture kind of overlap with some of that? Really? Oh, like I've actually heard of these ideas in, in, in my own background. No, because, uh, like I said, um, my parents are still a little bit anti Catholic. Cause they don't know, they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, um, you know, the, the, the saints, them, uh, the, the idea of sainthood was still very foreign to me and I couldn't find any overlapping, but the right. stories of people's lives that, uh, before they became uh, canonized as saints, uh, those were relatable because they were just people living out their faith. But yeah, there's, uh, there was nothing. Um, I did look up to see who the patron saint of Korea was. And there's this guy named, um, I think his English, his Christian name is Andrew. I was just glad that he was Korean. Like I was afraid that I was going to be this white guy that was going to be the Some colonizer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but no. Bob, he, Saint Bob. he was colonized because obviously his name was Andrew, right, uh, but he was right. at least Korean. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is very fair. So, you know, in your own life, it sounds like you've had quite you, you have quite a background of like, you have a Korean background you know, uh, ethnically, and then you grew up kind of Methodist and grew up in like this anti-Catholic tradition. Then you kind of deconstructed, but you stayed in the Methodist church trying to fight the man. Uh, and then now you find yourself in, a, in, in like an Episcopalian space. How has, for you, as you kind of think about your own life, big picture, how has your, I guess, view of God and theology shifted over time? Um, you know, based on like where you were even a few years ago, you know, firmly seated inside the Methodist church and now you're not. Um, I, you know, uh, I've always, uh, up to seminary realized that I always felt like God was just this, uh, very narrow path where only a few can enter. Uh, basically, you know, like if you, if you don't say the sinner's prayer and accept Jesus as a salvation, uh, as Jesus as your savior, you're not going to heaven. So you're not one of us. So, you know, like kind of this narrow, but um, up into seminary, like I started uh, uh, past seminary, you know, I just feel like this, this, this love that just spreads out and um, this uh, greediness, quote unquote of God is that he, the God just wants all of us mm. and part of, God's kingdom. Uh, so that, that was a shift between like the, the, uh, that I made in, in, in my de- in seminary, in my deconstruction phase. That's be- uh, primarily because there were a lot of, uh, there were uh, quite a few gay students in uh, mm. seminary and that blew my mind. Cause, um, you know, growing up, we, uh, our church really, and my family never really talked about sex except for don't do it. You know, yeah, and for sure. And, you know, like I remember the, the, the lesson where um, our youth pastor sat all the boys, no, it was all the kids down in the circle and he opened up a big cookie and passed it around. And he said, don't eat it. Just take a look at it, sniff it and pass it to your neighbor. And then the last person is, uh, has a cookie and the youth pastor says, hey, why don't you, do you want to eat it? And he's like, no, it, it, was, it was like everyone touched it. And that's your body. You know, like don't, totally. don't sleep around. Totally, <laughs> because, totally. You know, and, and so we never talked about sex, let alone like anything that's that, uh, that kind of, you know, like for lack of a better word, deviates from the heteronormal sexual activities. All, you know, just don't have sex until you're married and being gay is a sin. Like that's right. what I grew up in. Right. And so now I'm in seminary and a lot of us are training to become pastors and there's all, there's these gay students. I'm like, what right. are y'all doing? You're like, did you right. not read the Bible? Right. 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 Um, right. And so, uh, uh, and, and I mentioned, and I, I shared this in the book too, um, using the story of St. Uh, Kateri Kithawika, who is a, the first uh, native American saint. Mm. And her name, Tikawitha means she who bumps into things. And uh, 
using that with what Father Gregor Boyle uh, of, of Homeboy Industry, uh, Industry, he wrote that vicinity creates kinship. And so, uh, you know, when I first saw these gay students, I was like, oh, man, where am I? Like, they're, and or more importantly, why are they here? Why are right. we here together? Like, this is supposed to be a Christian institution. Right. Like, right. we're here to be, like, pastors. How, what? Dude, like, all these things. But yeah. the more, like, uh, and I try to avoid them. I'm, I'm naturally introverted, so I'm like, I don't want to do, like, I wasn't going to eat lunch with them or whatever anyhow. Right, But, right. you know, after a while, you see them every day. You say hi. You don't want to be a jerk, so you, you say hi back. And then they start inviting you over to your table, over to their table to have lunch, and you start talking to them. And then you, you keep bumping into them over and over, and you're like, you know what? Okay, first of all, they're really actually human beings. Like, forget them being gay and me being straight. We're people, <laughs> right? Right. And then the thing that struck me the most was um, there was one particular student, and he was just just this go-getter of of like he worked at church he was always in the front lines of all these protests like he was a better christian than i could ever be and that made me sit and i was like what do i do with this totally and do i double down and say no his work is in vain because at the end of the day he's going to hell anyway because he's gay or do i do i really give into this nudging that i felt and see where this leads to yeah, and thankfully, I chose the the latter, and and um, really started asking him about his faith journey, and then I was like, you know what? There, they, we were wrong. <laughs> My parents were wrong. The church was wrong, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I forgot what we we're talking about, but uh, well, you know, like, I, I I just want to say really quick that story that you had of you know one who bumps into someone, um, you know that idea. Is my is also my story of 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 you know trend of moving from being you know an, a non affirming Christian to affirming. It was someone at Starbucks when I was eighteen who I met for the first time who was a just just a gay person. I thought, oh my yeah. god, like this person is is gonna want to sleep with me and all this crazy. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it's 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 hilariously dehumanizing to say as now, if you are but, the most attractive yeah. person right, in the room, exactly, right? Exactly, right? I mean, yeah, exactly, right? And then and then I found out that 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 he was also an atheist. Like, oh my god, he's also morally <laughs> depraved. He can't have any worldview that's like biblical or or moral <laughs> and then i i hear how he spends so much of his time in his local community in philadelphia you know volunteering or, or like tending to the community garden and trying to fight for injustice and i'm like wait a second wait a second you know the what i was taught was the reality from my evangelical bubble is is at direct odds with the human being in front of me who right. is none of those things in fact like you said who cares if he's gay or straight or if i'm gay or straight? he's a human being and I do think that for a lot of people, the stories of, of when they actually got outside their own bubble and, and made the decision to bump into someone, so to speak, right. that was when their whole paradigm shifted because the reality did not match you know, this like reality that was constructed in their heads from this culture that both of us kind of grew up in in very different ways. Right. And, you know, like uh, going back to uh, bashing on the evangelical church, <laughs> um, I think we got it wrong. Like, you know, there was a, a whole escapism to our to our theology, right? Like this totally. earth, this earth is temporary. So let's withdraw. And and that's not how Jesus is. Like the whole point of, you know, it wasn't God so loved the world that God took us away from the world. Like God sent his son to right. be with us. Right. Like, and, right. and so like if we're following the 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 trajectory of God, we're called not to escape from our communities, but like be entrenched in our communities, and so um, that's why the name "She Who Bumps Into Thing" was like it just it was just planted in my head. Like, no, we're called to like be around so that uh, we bump into people over and over and over, not to save their souls. Like, we're not. I'm not bumping into people in coffee shop and say, "Okay, have you met my friend Jesus? Have <laughs> right. you met Jesus?" You know, like the uh, Barney Stinson uh, pickup line or wingman move. But yeah. to like put a uh, get to know people's story and and I told this to uh, someone and they call me a bad pastor and I was like I'm not here to save people's souls right I just want them to know my story and I want to know their stories and maybe in 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 being intertwined now with our stories like they might find something that's curious about my faith and we start dialogue or whatnot and you know like I'm here to just be with them and right. if they never believe in Jesus Christ fine right I that's right. fine. Yeah. If yeah. they do, like, I want them to know that for me, the most 
fulfilling life you can live is following the path of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They might think the most fulfilling life is following where the money goes. Mm. You know, that's fine. Just give me some when you make it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, I'm not here to. Com- I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s now. I, I don't want to fight with people. I don't yeah. want to. Like, yeah. You, yeah. just don't harm people, and we'll be okay. And and let's let's change story. Let's exchange stories. And if we ever find common ground, and you want to know more about this faith, I'm your guy. If yeah. you don't. Let's just talk about how much you hate the Cowboys. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do find this, you know, saving the soul ideology. It's kind of more Gnostic or even more dualist. And it is like, I would argue, quote unquote, biblical. I mean, Paul was pretty concerned about like a phys- about the body and like a physical, you know, resurrection in a lot of ways. And so I even that idea of like, we have to save souls. I'm like, where are where are we getting this from? <laughs> Uh, and 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 how does the soul burn forever, like like and be tormented? I mean, like, I, like where are the nerve endings of this soul <laughs> that feels like it's on? How does that work, right? Um, but I, I I wanted to ask you kind of this question as well because I agree with you that I think uh you know this whole like okay we just have to pull away from culture and be secluded because the world's going to burn so who cares? That's not really helpful. But I think more recently over the past few years. I've been kind of awakened to this other side where it's like, no, we have to take over the culture. Like it's oh, our yeah. job as Christians to rule and to yeah. just, you know, proselytize and to convert all the souls and to become culture. So what are your thoughts on that other extreme that I think I've been seeing um, maybe a, a it's not so much like a numerical rise, but more of like a militancy uh, about it. We're like, no, we yeah. have to on behalf of God. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that we got it wrong again. Um, so I, uh, to plug in my book again, uh, one of the okay. last chapters, um, uh, uh, I, I used this phrase that Andy Crouch used. He talked about uh, Mother Teresa and Princess Diana, who died mm-hmm. in the same week. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that uh, uh, not everyone could be Princess Diana, but everyone could be Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. So he said that uh, Princess Di had a title, but Mother Teresa had the witness. Yeah. And I took that and to talk about Jesus and Herod, because at the time, you know, they were they were in power power, quote unquote, and sure. Jesus had a witness and uh, Herod had a title. Right. Um, and and the thing about the nationalistic movement of Christianity today uh, is that we want to be Herod and not Jesus. We want right. the power, we want the control, and we keep forgetting, like, Jesus on his last night spent time washing the nasty-ass feet of his disciples, <laughs> yep. Judas included. Yep. Um, and we want Jesus, we kind of want Jesus to be like this iron fist, like, oh, he's going to come over and take over. But right. really, uh, Jesus serves with the towel and basin. And we keep forgetting it because it's harder. It's uh, yeah, One of absolutely. my favorite things to say is like, it's easier to control people than it is to love people. Yeah. And 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 we have gone all in uh, over power and control rather than seeking to love, uh, love our neighbors. So, um, because it's easier. It's easier to... Force try to you know, uh, I, I mean it's it's the it's the uh, uh, empire way like a Pax Romana right like you, we'll show you peace by beating you down and then right. you'll submit to us and then you'll experience the love of God. It's like yeah no that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah I, I do find you know and obviously we we track a lot of this Christian nationalism and we, and we track a lot of like even fundamentalism in evangelical spaces because for a lot of us that's kind of our own tradition and I have found that. Ultimately, the biggest difference is that I believe Christian nationalism wants to become the empire, and Jesus teaches us to subvert the empire. Right. And so what I'm wondering for you is, is what are ways that maybe you either recommend or that you've been practicing in your own life that really resist this like power dynamic in these spaces while hopefully trying to model a better path forward? Um, you know, uh, one of the things I try to do is... Uh, I've given up the uh, idea of being the voice for the voiceless, mm. um, but giving the voiceless a voice. Like, let's not let's not speak on behalf of them. Let's give yeah. them our platform so that they can speak using yeah. our whatever influence and whatnot. And uh, and the thing that I do personally now, um, and and uh, uh, I live in a city called Pearland, and it was ninety uh, percent uh, Trump twenty sixteen. Nice. Um, when Harvey hit in 2017 uh, and President Trump came to visit Houston, uh, he stopped by one church, and that church is two miles from my home. Um, so uh, wow. uh, with all that stuff, you know, and there's, there was a lot of MAGA hats. Um, there's still uh, one of my neighbors still has uh, a Trump 2024 flag up and all that stuff. Wow. Um, all this to say, you know, when, when 
people tell me I, I just happen to engage uh, in conversation with other people. Um, I, I now am trying to listen to understand. Yeah. Rather than listen to respond. Yeah. And um, I don't know if that, I mean, that might be semantics at the end of the day, but for me, like, I don't want to argue with you anymore. Right. So let's, let's hear where you, uh, in my mind, let's, let's see where you, you know, like kind of went on a detour, but, but let me hear your story. And, and even the, uh, one of, uh, one of the guys I've, I've, I've found a regular uh, conversation, uh, that is a full on, uh, Q conspiracy and whatnot. Um, turns out he's just lonely and hurt and no one looked out for him. And he just felt this community that doesn't exist, uh, that, not like the physical community, but he just felt a sense of belonging by buying into these things. And I think the best thing for me to do as a pastor is let him express these things that he heard. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't respond because I know like if once we respond, we're going to go on to this even longer conversation. But every time I'm, he's at the coffee shop, he'll come and sit at my table and we'll have like a 30 minute conversation. And uh, last time uh, we had, he hasn't been there for a while, but last time he said, you know, I try to get uh, doctors to rec- uh, uh, prescribe uh, ivermectin, but they won't. I'm like, oh, okay. Why do you want ivermectin? Right. Just to try. Right. I'm like, okay, right. cool. I uh, hope, hope you get what you're looking for, you know, right, but, right. and I'm, I'm not going to like, you know, that's, you know, I'm not going to argue with them, but I feel like the best thing I can do in the best Jesus thing I can do is just, well, clearly you want to tell someone about this. Yeah. So it, it's a weird dynamic. I find myself in as well, because for example, um, in December of, uh, 2022, I, I visited and spent four days at America Fest. That's uh turning point USA's. <laughs> You know, like essentially it is the Christian nationalists, like it is the festival of Christian nationalists. Yeah. I mean, eight, there's over 80 speakers, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Trump. They're all there. Um, all of the lie. podcasters are there. People on Twitter, like James Lindsay, the atheist guy, he's there. Samuel Duth, Johnny, they're all there. And someone who likes some of the work that we do because we critique evangelicals when they, you know, harm children uh, and they're passionate <laughs> about that. Also was invited to speak at this event and said, hey, listen, you should come out. I'll pay your way. I'll, I'll cover your expenses. You should hang out with us. And I said, hell yeah, I'll go to that. And and it was interesting because I, I was in this really weird tension of, on one hand, being there for four days only reinforced why I'm so concerned about Christian mm. nationalism and the ideology that it's pushing from the platform from very powerful voices, yeah. people who have a lot of influence. It's not just it's not just about the it's not just about being a majority numerically. It's about the power that they, that they have. Um, at the same time, they're humans. I'm talking to people that critiqued <laughs> online. Turns out they have families. They have kids. We have the same problems with our two year olds who poop everywhere and you know and 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 drool everywhere. And there was just there was this moment where I'm like, oh right, they're not Christian nationalist robots. <laughs> they don't walk off the charger like must take over America, you know. But at the same time, they're in the, made in the Imago Day, but also they're like they're in this space that is full of just. I mean, sometimes batshit crazy ideas and propaganda. And so it is interesting because I've also considered like, you know, for us, what, where are some of these lines? How do we not dehumanize folks that we really find dangerous, meaning what they're advocating for harms, especially some of the most marginalized among us. At the same time, I know that, that I wasn't changed. I I didn't shift my perspective because people were screaming at me that I was, you know, a, a homophobic <laughs> asshole, right? And so it was stories that eventually got me to think differently than the way I did that led me to, to do the work that I do now. There's a lot of layers to that that we can't get into. There's the the power dynamics there, and and there's all these different things that are important to listen to. But I'm just saying, from my vantage point, there are moments where I'm like, you know, I talk to some people privately that. I wouldn't share publicly because I, I want right. to keep that line of communication open with them in hopes that 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 they understand I'm not here to like destroy them. I want to invite them into a better right. path forward, right? It's tricky. And some people won't. Uh, you know, like yes. uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there's there's so many new churches popping up. Before the pandemic, there was like a new church every other month that was popping up in our city, yeah. uh, evangelical church, because, you know, we're in the Bible. We're still in the South and whatnot. Right. And um, 
you know, my, our church, Mosaic Episcopal Church, and um, our sister church, St. Andrew Episcopal Church, we're the only two affirming churches mm-hmm. um, that are proud. Like, you know, like our, in our, we, we meet in a retail space and one of our we- windows, we, we have the pride flag um, um, hanging from the window so everyone can see it. And um, I just feel like the best thing I can do is not to engage in these public discourses and, and public debates, but like, let's just meet people where they at one at a time yeah. and, and just let them know if we, if they give us a chance to do that, um, there's more than one ways to approach God yeah. and, and that, uh, God is big enough to hold all of our views. But, um, you know, if you need a space to feel safe or to feel like you belong, you're always welcome here. Yeah. Um, but if you don't want to come to church and you just want to hang out with me, you know, let's, let's just do yeah. that too. Um, so, uh, I guess that's a subversive way and a, a, a subtle way to um, get to spread the gospel. <laughs> uh, um, and just, you know, like just letting people know that you, you matter and hopefully uh, you'll be able to find a community yeah. that, that, that honors who you are for all that you are, yeah. even if that's not church. And if, even if it's, that's not, I just had a coffee with someone yesterday who, who, who has, who was burned by this church and she had so many questions mm. about, um, what are we, what do we believe? Who are we and all that stuff. Right. And, and, um, at the end I was like, Hey, just, I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. Our church is for you for this part of your journey. If, if you decide that, uh, we can't like, if you outgrow us at some point, you know, I won't take it personally. I right. just want to make sure that you find who you are. And, and if we can help you do it, great. If you want me to find someone else to help you, like, let me know how far you're willing to drive. And I'll tell you churches that will, will be, you know, so, you know, I'm not here to fill my pews. Right. Right. Um, exactly. I'm, I'm here to help people live their best life. And hopefully that best life they will see eventually that it's following the sacrificial path of Jesus. Yeah, I love that. Well, listen, um, I appreciate you, you know, Joe, making time to come on the podcast for the third time and actually <laughs> actually making the recording happen. The book is When the Saints Go Flying In. It came out February 6th of this year. Where can folks find you? I mean, do you have, are you on Twitter? Do you have a website? Plug all those channels away for us. Yeah, so uh, I'm on TikTok, uh, joseph.u, spelled Y-O-O. Um, I've been uh, inundated with DMs on my Instagram for telling me I'm going to help because i nice. um, I made a video that 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 went viral uh, right after the Grammys. It's at eight million views. I have no idea why. What? <laughs> and it's just based. It was you know it was I, I was engaging a little bit of a whataboutism, um, uh, saying you know people are so outraged about the Grammys of Sam Smith, but you know what what about uh, the SBC or <laughs> the right. um, and then and then um, you know I've I, I saw your post on John MacArthur, and I was like, this is what I mean, like. There's not a peep about John MacArthur, but we're still talking about Sam Smith and, and well, not anymore. Um, but uh, I had a, I had a decent following before that video, but now like um, I'm I'm inundated with trolls and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, I'm on all the social media uh, uh, under my name Joseph Yu. Awesome. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you making time and coming on and sharing your story. The book, Friends, is out everywhere. I'll put a link in the show notes, and I'm sure we'll talk again, so make sure you keep in touch. Thank you for having me, Tim. Absolutely.